VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? We'd just come to the end of pandemic and somebody said, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? And we were giggling. We were like, dude, it already has. Like, I don't know, maybe the worst thing that could happen (laughs) is that all businesses would close and nobody would be able to go out. Oh, wait, we've just lived through that. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley and welcome back for another fabulous week. I'm your host, Danny Forts and the West Coast Correspondent for the Sunday Times. And this week, we have a very good one for you. So, I have a question. What would you do if you quit your job, say in your late 40s, early 50s, raised a bunch of money to launch a travel startup, and then COVID hit? Yeah, so you have bills to pay, you've got kids... You've left a career behind and then this thing, this travel idea you have, you bring it out into the world and then the entire world literally shuts down. Well, that is exactly what happened to this week's guests, Francesca Howland and Julia Malaby. hope I'm saying that right, Julia. I apologize if I'm not. They launched their app, Bimble, in February 2020. It's so just a few weeks before lockdown. And the app, they're based out of Oxford uh, in the UK, obviously. And you can think of the app as kind of like a Spotify of your favorite places around the world. You know, restaurants, bars, parks, whatever. Um, so, you know, you, the idea is something I think most people find familiar. You know, you go to this on a weekend trip to whatever, Paris. You find a great little bakery, a cool hotel. And then a friend asks you about it like weeks later, months later. And you're like, Ugh, go to that one street one next to the guy and the thing and the what, you know. Can't remember. Well, Bimble makes it easy to make lists of your favorite spots, share them around. There's a kind of a real strong social aspect to it. Kind of like a Spotify playlist, but of your favorite spots. Locally, around the world, whatever. That's the idea. But of course, Francesca and Julia's timing was terrible. And that was not even the biggest hurdle because, of course, they also decided to set up most of their technical operation in Ukraine. So with the outbreak of the war, that has been a hugely stressful situation on just like a completely different, you know, very human level, making sure their people were safe, had exit plans, etc. And they're still trying to run this business, especially as the world opens up and get out new kind of versions of the product, etc. So it's just been a it's a it's a really great, compelling startup story of, you know, dropping everything, doing something completely different mid-career, the very high highs and low lows of doing that, the risk, the stress, and kind of plowing ahead in the face of all of this kind of craziness. 
So I think you guys are really going to like this one. We talk about all of it. And yeah, luckily for you, we have Francesca and Julia both on the pod to kind of give their perspective on just this really kind of um, unlikely journey to where they've got to today with Bimble, which is growing swiftly. Now they're trying to raise a new round of funding. So lots of interesting stuff there um, for anybody who's even thought about trying to start something on their own. Or really, it's just, you know, a good story to hear. So with that, I will now step aside and hand you over to my conversation with Francesca and Julia of Bimble. Enjoy. Let's talk first about just what Bimble is, and then I want to understand how you ended up getting here. So that's an interesting question because we, uh, so we are an app for keeping, organizing, and sharing your places. And we had the great pleasure of launching three weeks before a global pandemic. <laughs> so mm. that was great. <laughs> so within, like, honestly, two and a half weeks of our app launch, businesses were closed and people, like, certainly in the United Kingdom, legally were not allowed to leave their houses. So that was great. So that was our first kind of part of this endurance test, um, which Mimble has been. But nevertheless, through that process, we grew very positively and we were able to, you know, learn a lot in that 12 months from our users, from our user behavior and so on. So that's kind of how we began. So that was in 2020. Um, what is it? I think probably the best way to describe that is to think about where I began. So my background is I used to work in investment banking, but within a technology division. And from there, I left because I wanted to launch my own business. So I actually set up a stationary business. As you do. Exactly. Tech investment banking to stationary. So what were you doing in tech investment banking specifically? Or where were you, were you working in the city? So I worked in the debt markets and we, we launched an electronic trading platform. Wow. Okay. So way less sexy than consumer social, I have to say. But nevertheless, you know, a good a good training ground. And when did you leave that and start the stationary company? So I left in the early 2000s. I left finance and then I actually moved to Paris for a year. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, I did. I took a year out. So I'd worked all the way through. I worked through school. I worked through my university holidays, you know, and so on. So I was really, I thought, I, I felt I deserved a break. So actually, I moved to Paris for a year and bought an old maid's quarter in the top of my apartment building. Like in the top of big apartment buildings, you have these small maid's quarters and I renovated a maid's quarter. Wow. Do you still have the maid's quarter? I do not. No. Oh, bummer. I'm gutted about that. Obviously, I would love that now. Yeah. But no. <laughs> but I learned a lot. So from there, yeah, I think really the, the reason that's relevant to Bimble is I very much understood what it was like to have a bricks and mortar SME retail business and the kind of challenges that, that you face. And I then was headhunted into back into travel to build a digital product for a travel company. So I have this kind of, I have this technology background, but a footing in kind of SME retail bricks and mortar. And then thinking about travel and what we learned there is how complicated it is to actually discover the kinds of places that you want to go to. So Bimble is really a fusion of those three moments in my life because what I realized is there were problems with independent businesses. There are problems with discovering independent businesses and technology can obviously solve those kinds of problems. Right. So I left to do it all again, to launch my own app. And I think they're just jumping in. So that experience of, you know, living abroad is something that Francesca's had. And so have I actually, I actually 
lived in Paris for a long time, 12 years, and I've lived in Toulouse and oh, I've wow. lived in Zurich and in Italy. And I think that, you know, that experience of, you know, going to a new city, getting to know as quickly as you can, like where the people go, like where do people hang out, where are the fun places, becoming a local is something that is a process that we've both been through a few times and that we knew we could do better through technology, just tapping into local people's knowledge of their area and sharing that and, you know, encouraging people to explore and get to that place faster just felt like a natural thing to be moving into. So Julia, what is your background? How did you end up coming to this? So my background is in marketing and I worked for big FMCG companies. So I worked at L'Oreal and uh, Coty Lancaster in Paris and across Europe. And I've also worked in strategy, marketing strategy. Um, and then I had a I had a business of my own as well, which was in the food area, patented a new food production process. Wow. And then I met Francesca and she had had this idea and we I got really excited about it and so joined her to launch. So how did you guys meet? Because out here, for example, and I don't know if you guys went through this process, but there's like this concept of founder dating where like, uh, oh, I have an idea, but I need some help and I need to kind of co-found this with somebody. And so you, there's kind of almost like a informal, semi-formal process of like founder dating. All right, let's start working together on various projects or whatever, or just start kind of brainstorming. How did you guys end up coming together and then deciding we're going to do this? That's super interesting. Look, I think the one thing that we talk about all the time is this is not a solo sport. Like that, like really, <laughs> I, we would not be here now if we didn't have each other to kind of bounce off. And particularly, you know, keeping in mind that it's been a difficult trading environment. It's just super useful to have somebody else who is, has got the same level of understanding and commitment as you have. So we've known each other for a long time. So actually, we, we knew each other anyway. And then there was this perfect moment where I came home from work and Julia was around at my house and she said, well, maybe I'll let you tell that story That's because that's your story to tell. Yeah. So basically it was just after, you know, Brexit, sort of the fallout from Brexit. I was working in a food company, a Swedish food company that was launching Latin American food across the UK. And I was working in the marketing for that. So hold on, a Swedish, a Swedish company <laughs> selling Latin American food in Britain. Exactly. A Love yeah. it. Okay. What could possibly go wrong? Okay, Brexit. <laughs> Uh, Brexit is the thing that went wrong. So basically, along came Brexit, and then they kind of, you know, collected themselves. We all collected ourselves from the fallout of Brexit and decided that it would be quite complicated. And they decided to disinvest in the UK. And so I, I went around to Francesca's house, and I was like, ah, this, you know, this thing is not gonna, is not gonna keep going in the UK. And mm. she, and she said, um, well, funnily enough, I'm just about to raise some money. <laughs> And um, it would be great if you wanted to join Bimble. So that is what happened. But it's a big thing, right, to start a company, especially I'm kind of in a similar, let's call our let's call ourselves mid-career, so to speak. Yeah, 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 actually. It's Beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to say about that topic, actually. Well, let's do that because I think it's really interesting. And because there's also... There's this idea, especially again, out here, there's like this kind of fascination with the young, you know, shit hot 18 year old who's a genius. Oh, we're going to give him $100 million and it's going to be great. But then there's also all these, there's another school, which is like, actually, we want people who have done stuff, who have had careers, who have proven them they can kind of deliver on X, Y, and Z. And so there's a lot of data around 
kind of older founders actually delivering in a way that younger people don't. Yeah. I mean, the data actually says that the companies that are the most successful and most profitable have got founders who are in their 40s. <laughs> right. So we can all take some comfort right. from that. Um, but I think <laughs> in terms of astronaut training, I think it is really important to, like from our perspective, we are able to draw on our experience of having been entrepreneurs in different lives. But equally, we've both worked in big businesses, so we've been through much more structured management processes as well. And all of that has been relevant in the company that we've built, actually. Yeah, and, and going forward, you know, as we scale, just having an understanding of what it's like to, you know, what does that mean? How can you structure a bigger business? What do we like or not like about company cultures that we've been in before and that we would like to build for ourselves and for our own business so there's also benchmarks of you know what is good practice so all of these things are just so valuable and we we kind of draw on that experience every day Mm. but honestly like I think what we bring to the table certainly and it wouldn't surprise me if this were true of other organizations is a kind of a calm you know it's really important so we have a lot of young people in our organization we would always from a culture perspective want to have a mix but actually, it, it's useful to be able to, I think the, the older we get, the more we're able to see things from, you know, the other side of the table, different people's perspectives. And I think that has been incredibly useful. And I also think that as female co-founders, we couldn't have this conversation without talking about the fact that women have very different career trajectories because we have children. So for us, I think it's super exciting that we have been able to grow this business, having had children and and still, be, you know, as you would appreciate, it's a full on commitment. We've still been able to do that. We believe, we hope effectively. And we would continue to invest in women who want to come back into the workplace because we know firsthand how much they have to offer. And we talk to women who want to do that. And we we hear the challenges that they face, that they feel completely out of it, or they feel that they haven't got the confidence to go back in. And that's something that we are very comfortable with taking on. Well, it's, um, this is an, an aside, but my wife took three years off while we had our two kids. And she's very, very accomplished lawyer. And we're out in California, which is all kind of kumbaya, everybody. Like, we love work-life balance and people taking the time they need, et cetera. But when it came time to get back into the workforce, it was very hard. And it was just like, you know, you have this gap in your resume and it's like how do you explain that like how do you explain that in a way that's actually not shame like mixed with shame and just be like yeah I took time off to have kids yeah and look think how crazy that is because the reality is that juggling small kids teaches you a whole raft of (laughs) of skills right that you can actually use that kind of multitasking ability is something that is super valuable as well so coming back to Bimble as an app it's so it's a social app for places so the idea is that you collect all your places uh, that you want to hold on to and you keep them on Bimble it's like an address book for your places but it's excitingly interactive so you have all of those places with their addresses with directions of how to get there you can keep your notes about why you love those places and then you can see other people's lists of the places that they love right and so it's a a completely positive platform where people are only like creating lists of the places that they want to hold on to that they care about like Spotify playlists where you'd only put you know music onto your playlist that you actually enjoy yep. so it's it's completely positive it's all places that people actively love and want to hold on to which filters out all the sort of less nice places and in particular tends to filter out 
the sort of bigger chains that people don't have as much of an emotional attachment to. And it gives us this amazing curated collection of places that people love in neighborhoods all over the world. Right. And so I have two questions about like kind of the starting and launching of the business. One is how was fundraising? Especially as you say, some two female founders of a tech slash social product, um, which itself is rare. So how was that process? And then the Ukraine piece, how did you guys end up kind of going there for the engineering side? So interestingly, we enjoy pitching. So I think that is an enormous help. It's not something that it doesn't freak us out and it doesn't stress us out through the process. Right. And we we have been incredibly fortunate. So we have raised just under $4 million in total so far. And I have to say it felt quite straightforward. So we've raised that in three different rounds and the rounds have got bigger progressively every time. So the first time we set out to say like, we want to build this product. I want to leave my job but I would, I need to raise money in order to do that. And we wanted to raise 200,000 pounds. And we had three people in mind that we wanted to approach to do that. And the first person we saw was like, I want to take the whole tranche, but I don't want you, I don't want you to go and see anyone else. Wow. So I think there is a point in our pitch where we talk to people about the problems that they face with keeping their places where everybody starts nodding. So I think that it is a problem that our investor community were able to really easily identify with. And that really was saying, look, when you come across a place that you want to hang on to, you know, we believe that people talk about places all the time. You might walk past a place and think you like the look of it. You know, I might recommend a place to you, Danny, because I think you're going to love it. Like, how do you hang on to that information? And we know because we have just tested this to death, people write it into iOS notes or they take a screenshot Yep. and it doesn't work. And so we want to find a way of making that work. And at that point, I think we just got buy-in quite quickly with the kind of problem that we were able to solve. And if you think that everybody is then creating place lists of their places so they can hang on to them effectively, that leads to a very effective and curated discovery experience. I think people um, then understood that, the ratings and review platforms do not solve that problem effectively either. And once you start to look at these are, you know, there are companies named companies that have multi-billion dollar valuations, you know, they're, they're companies that are 20 years old and whose technology really kind of demonstrates that. I think people were able to see it was a problem that they had. It was a big opportunity. It was a scalable opportunity. And we were then able to get them excited about the kind of community that we were building. So to answer your question directly, I don't feel that we have had a hard time raising money as female founders or as people, mid-alts, as I think we're called. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, we are, we are just about to launch our first institutional round, right? So that, that might be a completely different experience. Right, because uh, so it's been angels up till now. Yeah. So not friends and family, as in we're not related to them and we don't know them. <laughs> but nevertheless, certainly, yes, angel investors at that point. We Angel investors who are investors, a lot of them have had got investment backgrounds yeah. and were seasoned tech investors. But absolutely, institutional is the round that we're launching at the moment. Got you. And how much are you going to try to raise? Uh, we are raising $50 million. Right. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So did you launch the product and then there were lockdowns? What was the timing in terms of... So we had a year with the website just to learn exactly like how people would use the product, whether they were interested in doing that, whether they would make place lists. So we're constantly, you know, talking to our community and testing our messaging and, and, and testing our product. And during that time, we were building out the app. The app was released in February 2020. So literally right before lockdown. Wow. You know, so that was just a huge blow, clearly. <laughs> um, and uh, and we thought, you know, if nobody's going out and nobody's planning to go out, um, why would they make any lists of places? But amazingly, they did. Uh, so people still signed up. Hmm. They signed up either to think about places they'd love to go to in the future or to reminisce about places that they couldn't go to anymore that they've been to in the past or to support local businesses that they loved. So... We saw all of those three ways that people were using Bimble and actually we grew pretty well through 2020 and and even faster through 2021. So I often ask this question on the podcast, which is what was your worst day of work? <laughs> oh, I know the answer to that. I mean, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm guessing it might have to do with the pandemic, but you tell me. Yeah, no. I mean, so interestingly, we were asked that in one of our pitches where we'd just come to the end of pandemic. And somebody said, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? And we were giggling. We were like, dude, it already has. Like, I don't know, maybe the worst thing that could happen <laughs> is that all businesses would close and nobody would be able to go out. Oh, wait, we've just lived through that. So that yeah. that very much was our answer at that point. But honestly, to to be very poignant and a little bit more humble to answer that question, our entire engineering team, our Bimble team, we have an office in Kiev. So for us, honestly, the worst moment for us was really understanding that invasion happened and we were massively briefed and we had a solid disaster recovery plan. But I don't think any of us really anticipated how bad it would be. And that has just been emotionally the worst thing for us as a team but I would say positively an incredibly bonding experience for all of us Mm. together so we now we've moved way beyond 
talking about work. You know, we we are all in constant contact, like whatever happened. I, you know, I was giving an example earlier today, actually. I was, it was a Saturday afternoon and I'd taken my daughter, she was getting her seconds, her second earrings pierced. And I was standing in line and I'm getting all these alerts on Twitter saying that they were bombing Lviv, where, where we have several people now. And so I'm like, mm. on a Saturday afternoon, I'm like, okay, guys, like, where are you? What are you doing? Because that's not something that would wait until Monday morning to say, I hope you're all okay. We are now very much in no. a kind of evac process. If that, if, if my guys were affected, we would have been like, right, okay, shit, what are we going to do about it? What is the next move? So I think, um, yeah, as I said, it's just been bonding in a deep way that we could never have anticipated. But we know we talk very solid. You know, it's very important to us that we talk about the future, that we that we make sure that our team understand that there is a future. And we know that our future is going to be great because of it, because we are one as a team. I think that like what we found is that, you know, we chose to build a team in Ukraine because we were just blown away by the energy and the spirit of the Ukrainians, as well as their talent as programmers. Yeah. You know, we'd gone there and we just thought these guys are, they're ambitious, they're energetic, they're interested in what they're doing. They, they want to make things happen. Sorry, just on that point. So how did you end up going there? I mean, did you start hiring engineers in the UK and kind of going down that route? Or, or like, how did it, how did you end up being like, you know what, actually, we're going to like, this is where the core of our engineering is going to be? Because I think that's an interesting process in itself. Yeah, so we've been tech in house right from the get go. So from even from our super early prototyping days, we were doing that with our own devs who were based in the UK. And all of my dev experience has been based with digital teams in the UK. But we have a good friend of ours who sits on our advisory board who was at Apple. I mean, he was working with Steve Jobs at Apple. Then he left and was the early team at Nest. And then when Nest exited to Google, he went to Google. And he he said to us, look, you know, you really have to understand the quality of the engineers in Ukraine. So if you want to build a really serious team, it's a really, really exciting place to do it. And that, by the way, is what all of the tech giants do. And I guess... I think the whole world knows that now, right? Yeah. The, the quality of companies that have huge teams in, in Ukraine. So it was a big leap for us and one that we were, you know, we, we did really um and ah about it. But then when we met, we started to go out there and we met the teams or we met people um, and other teams. And as Julia said, I, everything that is now described in this war period as the spirit of Ukraine, we saw that. So absolutely led by tech giants who already have established teams out there. That was the original inspiration. And then it was really, we were won over by the people we met and how excited and enthusiastic they were to help us build an influential platform. And what is the cost difference? I mean, because I know that I'm in the most expensive place on planet Earth in terms of engineers. Yes, and, you know, we, you we're know, terrified about that. We keep talking about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, seven figures annually for, you know, top engineers is pretty typical. You know, in terms of, because I know a lot of companies have engineering operations across Central and Eastern Europe. What is the delta in terms of just the cost of the resources? So not, I would say not that different from what we pay in the United Kingdom. Mm. But that is specifically because we take our culture very seriously. We wanted to build an offering around that where people have got, so our, our teams do have, they have gym membership. They have a lot of support around their contract um, and a lot of benefits. So it doesn't end up being a really cheap and inexpensive option for us. Right. But we were comfortable with that because we were already paying, in terms of headcount costs, we, we knew what we were comfortable with in the UK. Our motivation for doing it was actually the level of expertise they have. 
And for us, it was a real shift away from a startup product towards a scale-up product where we were really looking at the overall stability and future architecture of the platform. We felt those guys were much better placed to do that for our product. Uh, but we do hear all the time how expensive the United States is and we are scaling in the States. So we do have well over 40% of our audience now is based in the US. And that is right now with, with very kind of limited efforts to achieve that. So we are super excited to, to expand into the US. But we do hear how those costs pan out. Yeah, and there's a whole new phase now as well with our engineers kind of looking to think about, you know, whether they might leave Ukraine and if so, where they might go. We're suddenly kind of, we've actually got an, an office now in Krakow for those that have been able to leave. Oh, wow. But we are looking at, you know, what options might be interesting as places for them to live. So suddenly it's kind of opened up that whole conversation. It's like, we still want our Ukrainian teams, but, you know, they could go live somewhere else. And where would that be? And so we've been sort of exploring the world a bit. So thus far, how many people do you have working in Ukraine currently? 11 people. 11. And everybody's safe so far? Everybody is safe. Absolutely. For now. Yeah. I mean, we feel that safe, safe in an inverted commas. But yeah, everybody is. Everybody is safe. And are they still able to do work? Is that, I mean, how does that even, you know, working in, in quite literally a war zone, like how does that, what does that look like? Just honestly, it's extraordinary. I mean, so for, for the first couple of weeks after war was declared, they took that time to kind of work out where they could move to that was safer than where they were before, like find somewhere to be and somewhere that had internet connection, somewhere that they could be with their families, like they took a couple of weeks doing that. Yeah. And then they started coming back and saying that they wanted to work. They wanted to have, you know, the stability of their work and something that is exciting and positive um, and that takes their minds off the, the difficulties that they're facing. So they, they asked to come back. And that's been just amazing because they have been working on the release that we're going to be doing this Friday, which is literally the biggest release we've done in, you know, this year. And we had them this morning on a meeting. It was amazing. They were all on the screen uh, in their different locations mm. and they were just looking so kind of so pleased and happy that this product was ready to release that there's this amazing achievement that they've come together they were all thanking each other for the fact that they'd supported each other through this yeah so it's been absolutely amazing and are they working is it a nine to five type situation or is it like nine to eleven two to five is it kind of like well no engineers work in that format really anyway like we, we do try really hard to like we do as a culture we try very hard to encourage people to work in in a specific set of working hours but it's not always the way engineers work yeah and certainly we've really come together as a team we've been led by our team members and what their needs are and the fact that they feel hugely invested in the product and that they wanted to bring maps to life it was really important to get maps out just for the products to feel better and to move forward. You know, we've had different stories. We've had we've had different, like people in Kiev, there was a period when Kiev was getting, you know, there was a lot of shelling activity and noise. So it was difficult for those guys for a period. That's now gone. Yeah. We have one of our team members is in Odessa. So that's been incredibly stressful in different moments. Yeah, yeah. And then just on, you guys are like taking on, it's a big thing to kind of launch what is effectively a social app putting aside the fact that you're doing it during COVID and this is effectively around traveling. Um, but <laughs> how do you think about, cause a social, a social app is only as good as, you know, the network of people that are on it. 
And if you're starting from scratch, that kind of cold start problem, so to speak, is really hard. So how is that going? How do you think about that? What are the kind of levers you're pulling to actually grow? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it probably takes us back to the very beginning. When we left our jobs with the idea that we wanted to do it, we actually went back to Oxford University who gave us seats in their co-working space. So we were surrounded by students and we were able to kind of take our idea, look at the problems. And what we found is um, so we had an idea that if you knew, like it was incredibly hard to find the kinds of places that were right for you. If you had a friend in the place that you were going to, who could give you advice, you were just going to have a much better experience. Yeah. So that was the problem that we set out to solve. And we created some prototypes where people, we were just encouraging people to, everybody has places that they feel represent them. We were just encouraging people to use our prototype to kind of get those places out of their head and into the system. And we had feedback through that process that they all had places and they were very proud of how they were represented, but they weren't sure why they were doing it. So we were like, right, okay, so we, we think we have something here, but we need to work on motivating people to want to do that. And that is where we uncovered all of these problems that we described earlier around people struggling to hang on to the places that they want to do. So I think really from our perspective, by solving that problem, by by really focusing on the create tool, the keep, like keep your places, you need somewhere to keep your places. We are an app to do that. We understood that people like apps for specific things. So really it's, if I think about music for me, I think about Spotify. You know, when, when I need to get a ride, I go straight to Uber. We have this behavior now where we open an app for a specific thing. That is what we set out to build. So really, we were building a product around one specific category, which for us is places. It's keeping your places. And we have actually built a social experience around that. So we've overcome our cold start problem by solving a utility problem for our users. Right. And has there been any marketing into kind of to grow that or has this all been organic thus far? And how where are you at in terms of numbers right now? Yeah, so we have done some marketing. We, you know, with with kind of limited budgets, but we have done we have done some. So we have been advertising through Instagram. We also work with some brand ambassadors, you know, both on TikTok and on Instagram, mm. and that has helped us to grow our numbers. We've had two hundred thousand downloads on our app so far. So what we're really excited about, as Francesca was saying, since we're really focusing on this keep side of it. We're seeing that that thirty percent of our users are creating content, so that is, you know, that is fantastic. And we're seeing that the people that are creating, that are listing places and maybe like have listed ten places or or more, that they're actually coming onto the platform up to eleven times in the month, and they're spending quite a lot of time. So they every time they go to a new place that they love, they want to keep it on Bimble and they want to hold on to it. So we're seeing we're seeing that usage being adopted really effectively. And that then leads other people to see their content and start following them and get inspired by them. So it's um, it's really getting going well. Why Bimble? <laughs> I love, I, I have like one sentence answer to that. So um, a guy I used to sit next to, as I said, I was working for a travel company and we were building that digital product. And the guy that I used to sit next to, this was kind of our like side project that we all used to kind of love talk about and joke about and or maybe one day we'll do it and his grandfather he was a an army guy and bimble is an army expression 
And his grandfather used to say, hey, we're going to go on a bimble. Let's let's go out and about. Like it, it meant kind of, mm. you know, going on an adventure and discovering new places. Gotcha. Um, so he, and we were like, bimble, oh, maybe we'll call it bimble. And so that's what we did. It's a good name. It's a good name. Um, I have one last question. I know you guys are short on time, but I just, I'm very curious. I've written a ton about like influencer marketing and the rise of TikTok and all this stuff. I'm just curious as to what your experience has been in terms of that, either using influencers to kind of get the word out or like TikTok, for example, as a channel, how effective those are in terms of, yeah, getting the word out. I'm just, cause it's, it feels like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of interesting things happening. And it's just trying to like, you know, pull signal from the noise. I'm just interested what your experience has been. So it's been really interesting because we've tried different things. So we've tried working with influencers that would, for example, just create one bimble list and share that on a post. And for that, what we saw was it produced interesting content on bimble, but didn't necessarily get much pickup from their audiences. Mm. Then we start, we moved into a different process where we now work with longer term, we have longer term relationships with brand ambassadors that we handpick. And those people are constantly creating content on Bimble and regularly sharing videos about the places that they're going to. So we're selecting people who already anyway have an audience that follow them because they share interesting places. And then they're saying, you know, I'm talking to you about some of my places on TikTok, but all of my places are on Bimble. And then that becomes really interesting because people want to come along and see all of those other places that they're sharing and also be able to practically go to those places. Because the huge difference between seeing a post on Instagram, for example, or, or a video on TikTok and seeing it, these places on Bimble is that on Bimble, those places are on a map. They've got directions. They've got, you know, they can book the place directly and so forth. So it becomes, you know, something that their followers can really tap into to and use effectively but so really it's a it's a nice adjacent because it's for people in in you know our brand ambassadors have built these fantastic communities on tiktok and on instagram it's not for us to compete with that it's really when they're sharing places they've built a business around share or a community around sharing places we are just the reference side of that so you see a place on instagram but you actually then want to go there you go to their bimble list because we are about permanence we're about it being easy for you to find that place but yeah, like TikTok and Instagram both work incredibly well for us. And bearing in mind that we come from businesses that predate social media. So we've seen, like we've had to cold start businesses without without digital marketing. And, and we remember yeah. we remember how really difficult and incredibly expensive that was. So honestly, digital marketing feels like a gift. Right, right, right. And I would, the one thing I do just want to say is what we never, ever do is so when we work with brand ambassadors and influencers, all we do is give them the tool. So we explain what the product is and we give them the tool. We would never in any way have any kind of opinion about the kind of content they create or share. That we leave to them. Right, right. Well, cool. Well, I think those are my questions. And I know we, we I've kind of gone over on the time, but um, I'll be following with interest. I, I wish you luck on your on, on your next fundraising round. And um, thank you so much. I'm going to download Bimble and actually when we're starting to travel again, which is so exciting. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. And it is, it is the idea. I was, when I heard about your app, I was like, there's this place where I had this amazing chicken in Paris, <laughs> not far from Montmartre. And I was like, I couldn't find it again if exactly. I tried. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? You're like, what was it called? Oh, my God. Whereas now you can just go... A, you'll be able to find it again because it would be on your Paris bimble. But B, when one of your friends says, hey, Danny, what, like, where should I go in Paris? You can be like... 
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on, settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Here. Exactly. And that was all the time we have. I want to thank Francesca and Julia for taking the time to speak. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen, for the ratings, for the reviews, for sharing this around, for, you know, all of it. All what you guys do week in, week out. It's fantastic. I'll be writing about, believe it or not, Elon Musk this weekend and his Twitter tango. So if you want to read more about that, go over to the Sunday Times, get it on the weekend, or go to thetimes.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter, at Danny Fortson. That is it for me this week. Have a fabulous weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.